Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Hello and welcome back to Dave and Dia, the Trailblazers podcast where we keep hope alive no matter what evidence comes to the contrary. We still believe that the Portland Trailblazers are somehow going to beat Denver in 9 or 11 or whatever it takes. They're going to storm back like this was the WWE coming down the ramp into the conference finals, deliver stone cold stunners to Phoenix and the Clippers and somehow go to the NBA Finals and win it, of course, because that's the way it should be. I am Dave Deckard. I'm here together with the long-absent, well, for a week anyway, but now returned, thankfully, Dia Miller. Dia, how are you after your long trip? The trip was amazing. We can talk about that at some point. But I came home and promptly had my car broken into and all of my equipment stolen. So it's been a few days filled of police reports and insurance calls and trying to sort things out. It's not been the best welcome back, but you know, I mean, I'm here. I'm glad to be back. I really missed this last week. I, you know, Tuesday night I was, um, I was in Puerto Rico. I would not have been able to record it because I had terrible internet and we were tied up anyway during that time. But I thought about it and I missed it and I'm glad to be back. Oh, that's so nice. So you had kind of a Trailblazers-like experience. The actual regular season of the trip was really, really good, but you got to the postseason and immediately disaster struck. That's what. That's kind of the vibe I get. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to go right back into the bubble. <laughs> like I, I left. I left too early. Let me. Let me back in. Well, I'm terribly in. sorry about your camera equipment and all that. What? Share with us. What were? What were you doing in Puerto Rico? So my primary job, I think I've mentioned this briefly, is I I am a photographer and I was hired by FIBA, which is the Worldwide Basketball Organization, to go into their bubble in Puerto Rico. It was the FIBA Americas Women's America. There were 10 teams from the Americas, North and South America, 
um, including the U.S. So our team was there, which was really cool to see. These go on all the time. And I think we don't talk about this a lot in the United States because we have the NBA and we have the WNBA. But there's a lot of basketball that goes on outside of that. And this is one of those things. So it was my job. I was one of two photographers that were hired to be in. It was a bubble like the NBA did last year. So we went through all the COVID testing and all that stuff. We were sequestered to a hotel and then we would get on a bus and it would drive us to the stadium and we'd be there all day shooting. It was like 16 plus hour days. We were shooting four games a day. It was incredibly tiring and difficult, but also probably one of the best experiences of my life. I worked with an amazing team. And one of the really, really cool things about it is that it was a very female heavy team. So both photographers were women. A lot of the referees were women. Obviously the people playing were all women. The commentators were women. The social media team was women. Just a lot of really talented women working in sports. And I think that that was a really cool thing to see. I think that that's not something that we see enough of and seeing this all be, you know, put together and come together. And obviously there were men there as well, but to see that many women doing something like this was, was just really, really cool. It was really neat to get to be a part of that. That was awesome. I mean, congratulations on the assignment. Uh, Who coached the American team? Uh, Actually, it was Don Staley, who oh. is a topic of conversation right now for Trailblazer fans. Future Trailblazers coach Don Staley. I mean, man, I'll tell you, watching that team play some massive defense, I'm thinking she might be a good choice for us. Because it's a bubble and because of the nature of my job, I'm in there with the players and the coaches and things like that. And so I'm getting to have some interactions that I, normally you wouldn't. And one of my favorite moments from the whole time was at the end after the u.s won because they we won the whole tournament um and at the end we were doing a shoot with each player and the trophy we had them all come through and and we took their pictures you know holding the trophy and coach staley came through and she had this giant handful of confetti because after the game all this confetti had gone up and whatever and she had this giant handful of confetti and i said do you want me to take that and throw it away i thought maybe she was out there helping clean up i said do you want me to take that and throw it away for you so she said no she said i i collect confetti and, and so her picture, if you look at the picture of Coach Staley with the trophy, she has a handful of confetti. And all I could think is, if you collect confetti, you must win a lot. <laughs> so that, that, was, that was kind of a funny thing. Yeah, exactly. Great attitude, right? Well, good defense and wins a lot. That sounds like a prime candidate to me. Other names that have been bandied about in your absence hasn't changed much. Becky Hammond is still on the list, had her second interview this week or is having. Mike D'Antoni, the same, and Chauncey Billups. So those, actually, the latter three are more on the front burner right now than Staley is apparently. But first of all, that half of the candidates are women is pretty cool. And that, uh, yeah. you know, Becky Hammond is getting a second interview is fantastic. Uh, who knows what will come of it? It may be some of those. There may be another candidate yet. I mean, there, there are certain candidates that you would hire almost with a minimum of interviews, and we may yet see that. Uh, I, I'm not certain of that, but it would not surprise me if there was this slate of multiple interviews and then, bam, it was somebody else. 
But um, it feels like the Blazers are at least taking steps. I'm not sure we're any closer, though. Yeah. First of all, I think it's amazing that two women are being named amongst, you know, the top names of people they're considering. I think it's about time. It's one of those things that makes me proud to be a fan of this organization. Becky Hammond having a second interview. That's the first time that's happened for a woman coach in the NBA. Um, I, I say these things like that out loud and it blows my mind that it's 2021 and this is the first time that's happened. I guess that's a whole other thing, but I'm glad that it's happening. I'm glad that it's our team that's doing it. And I think that's really cool. The other names are are out there. I don't know what I think about this. I, I'm not a fan of Billups. I mean, for obvious reasons that we've briefly discussed, it has nothing to do with his coaching ability. There are some interesting options out there. I mean, personally, I tend to think that we had a good coach. So I think that in addition to this whole coaching search, I'm hoping that there are other changes that are made as well. But this is definitely interesting. It's interesting to see the names that are getting thrown around. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Olshay has someone on the, you know, down low that we won't ever hear their name. And then suddenly it's going to be like, hey, this is who we're going with, which is kind of what you just said, I guess. But right. um, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Well, the problem is the big names are probably also at the points in their career where they also want front office responsibilities. And so does that create a conflict of interest or does that create a, a sticky situation? So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see Or does that create a great play. situation? Well, I mean, maybe, but it depends on who, who's doing the hiring, yeah? For Neil, that would not be a great hire, but right. for other people, right. it might be, who knows? What we've got to say is, so far, the names that have been explicitly mentioned are not of that variety. I don't think Mike D'Antoni, he may have designs on a front office job, but I don't think that's quid pro quo of hiring him. He's not at quite at that level. And all, obviously, Billups, Hammond, Staley, or uh, all of them are first-time coaches. So that's not even in the realm of possibility or thought. So yeah, I mean, we'll have to wait to see how all this settles out. Uh, either way, I'm still kind of so far kind of nonplussed. I mean, I would like to see, for the same reasons you do, uh, Hammond or Staley get a shot. I would be thrilled. That would be very interesting storyline and certainly a breath of fresh air with the franchise and for the league. I would love to see it personally. But analytically, there are going to be coaches who make a difference, kind of. I mean, every coach is going to make a difference. The question is, do they make enough of a difference? Are they that much better than Terry Stotts? Does the team have that much ceiling above them that a coach can make that kind of difference? My thought is probably no. I'm of the opinion that their defense is going to be better no matter who they pick because it can't get worse and because Yusuf Nurkic is probably going to be healthier. And that's going to create a natural rise in the defense that people are going to point to and say, ha ha, see, better coaching led to better defense. But that's going to happen if you know if you put a a teddy bear with a pull string in the head coaching seat that would happen you know i think that the actuality versus the sleight of hand in how this coaching thing develops or how they do in their first year we'll have to keep a close eye on that because they can't help but get better but that's not just the goal the goal is to get farther and that's a, a harder task yeah i mean i i think we've talked about this before when we were talking about the whole thing with terry stotts and if they were going to keep him if they were going to let him go or whatever obviously coaching makes a difference and obviously there are some coaches who can come into an organization and drastically change it 
Do I think we're looking at those coaches? Probably not. I think we're looking at coaches who are going to come in and probably with this organization the way it is, with the front office the way that it is, the head coaches that are going to come in are going to come in and they're not going to rock the boat a whole lot, I'm guessing. I'm guessing we're going to have coaches that come in and do things maybe similarly to what's been done before. We're probably going to see some changes in the roster. I don't know how drastic that will be. And it's interesting that you bring up Nurk because – I wonder if he's going to be here next year. I've seen some things floating around here and there that make me wonder if maybe he won't even be on the team next year. What do you think? Have you heard anything about that? I have not. But if that happens, then the whole coaching discussion, we're not comparing apples to apples anymore. That single roster change will change more things than a coaching scheme. So in that case, all bets are off except for people who go, derp, derp, told you so, even though the situation is completely different. Whether Nurkic is here or not, is Nurkic here long term? Is he happy? Is he what what's going on with him next year? If the Blazers don't extend him, is he super motivated to earn a new contract and we'll see his best year ever? Or is he frustrated and we're going to see him kind of check out? Or is it just in between? If it's in between, is that good enough? I mean, there are lots of questions. All we know is from past experience, if Nurk ain't happy, nobody's happy the way the team is constructed right now. So let's hope that actually whether he gets an extension and is super uh, stoked about it or whether he's playing for his next contract and wants to earn it, the Blazers could sure use with the, uh, use a great year from him. Yeah. I mean, we've said from the beginning that of the beginning of this season, the beginning of this podcast, that Nurk is a difference maker, that you know, whether he's playing or not, whether he's playing well or not, it makes a difference for this team. If Nurk is not on it, if he's not playing well, it hurts the team. They don't do as well. And that's a tricky one because he didn't seem happy when the season ended. I mean, granted, I'm sure no one was happy about what happened, but he seemed to be at a place where he was questioning a little bit whether he'd come back or not. And I, for one, am someone who thinks if you don't want to be here, we probably don't want you to be here because if you, if you're unhappy, it's going to affect how you play. It's going to affect the relationship with your teammates. It's going to affect the chemistry and and the culture of that team. And those are things we do not want affected, especially with this team. Those are things that are important for this team to play well. And I think if there's one bad attitude in that group, it's going to really hurt them. I think that's one of the things that the Blazers do really well. We talked about before is that chemistry and that culture. And I think if one person comes in and negatively affects that, it's going to have a bad impact. And so if, if Nurk is at a place, and this is all speculation, there's nothing that's, you know, been flat out said other than his exit inter- and I don't know if it's an exit interview, but the, the interview that was done after the Blazers lost, Um, where he was pretty clear about the fact that he was not sure he would be returning and if he was not sure this was a good situation for him. Um, But based on that, if if he's not happy, then I hope that they can work out something and and find him somewhere where he is happy. Well, it'll be interesting to see where they are and where he is at the trade deadline next year. I mean, because he'll be on an expiring contract. So if they don't plan to keep him then moving him for something would seem to be prudent. But the Blazers lay it close to the vest and don't always do the prudent thing. So, I mean, who knows? But it does bring up an interesting point, and this is something that I wrote about yesterday by the time you guys hear this. This team still revolves around Damian Lillard, but Damian Lillard is not as unique as he used to be 
in the NBA. And we are seeing it in this year's playoffs. Now, he is still great. He is still better than everybody not named Seth Curry, or Steph Curry, rather, I think. Curry is still number one, but Lillard is at least 1A, if not side by side. Okay? That said, the gap between them and the next batch of guards is much smaller than it was last year or in years past. Lillard caught up to Curry just at the time that everybody else was catching up to Lillard. You've got Devin Booker, you've got John Morant, you've got uh, Donovan Mitchell, but you also got like Trey Young, you got Luka Doncic. There are probably six to eight players where you'd say they're not Lillard, but they're close and franchises, the franchises that they are playing for, because of the combination of talent and youth of many of these guards, which Lillard has the talent, but no longer the youth, the franchises they're playing for are probably as excited about those guards as the Blazers are about Dame. The point being, the league is catching up to Dame and Steph. You know who's really starting to stick out now as unique and difference makers for their teams? It's kind of circling back slowly to the centers. I mean, you got Joel Embiid, obviously you got Jokic, but even in this year's playoffs, I mean, DeAndre Ayton is emerging for Phoenix, and it, it's not a ton of them yet. Uh, or, you know, you could argue Anthony Davis last year, even though he was kind of power forwardish, he's kind of a, that traditional big man. You can argue that the special centers are starting to look really, really special again and like franchise changers. And so it'd be interesting to see, like, where does Nurkic fit into that? Is his value ascending right now? And if so, and if he can do it, this would be a bad time for the Blazers to part ways with him. You know, when this all started, I really thought when they first when they first fired Stotts, I thought, okay, my guess is the roster changes will not be drastic. They'll make small roster changes enough to say, look, we did something. Um, between that and firing the coach, it'll save, you know, it'll give them another year to basically say, well, we did something. But the more that comes out, you know, with little bits of things like Nurk's comments, all, all the talk about Dame being a little restless, whether there's merit to that or not, you know, the conversations about CJ being traded and who he may potentially be traded for, I'm starting to wonder if this roster is going to get shaken up a little bit more than I initially thought, or they initially even led us to believe, because there was conversation. I mean, there was a statement that was made that it was pretty much going to be small changes. Um, and I, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to wonder if things are going to get shaken up a little bit more than, than we initially thought. Well, we're in a different place now, right? Because give or take a Western Conference Finals run, the Western Conference Finals run. I loved it. You loved it. It was a great thing for Portland, all things considered. But in the annals of history, that achievement is not much of an achievement. I mean, if that's all, if that's your peak, you got there once and lost in five games or whatever it was, that's not as special as it seemed at the time. But be that as it may. The difference now is, give or take that Western Conference Finals run, some people kind of knew or guessed a couple years ago that this team wasn't going to clear the hill, wasn't, didn't have enough momentum to make it to the top, right? And then that became a little more obvious as time went by, again, disguised by that big run in 2019. But now the difference is, I think the players know. I mean, you really get that feeling that they're looking at each other and going, we were healthy, except for Zach Collins. I mean, I know they weren't healthy all year, but in the playoffs, they fielded the roster they intended to field. 
even bolstered by, by the way, Norman Powell, who was uh, a veteran, you know, difference maker right away, not a future prospect, someone who's supposed to help them right away, uh, bolstered by Robert Covington, who was the same way. They had who they want to have. Have They had an opponent they wanted to draw. Their opponent was injured. They were not. And they still lost. And I think it's dawning on the players that, you know what? Whatever momentum it is, not only may it be enough to clear the not not be enough to clear the hill, it may be going slightly backwards or be stalled at this point. And that's a difference when when the people inside the organization are thinking that or saying that you're at a point where you probably better make a change. I just think that something's got to give, you know, and and I think that that's becoming more and more apparent. And I think that even those of us who are very much on board with not making big changes, you know, the more these conversations go on, are starting to think that maybe those changes need to take place. I mean, I'm a lot more open to it than I was originally. And and that says a lot. You know, you know that says a lot. Well, I mean, there are big questions besides Dirk's happiness and Dame's happiness, which are kind of speculative right brain things. But I mean, even left brain analytical, how do you start Norman Powell at small forward for an entire season? I mean, can you really play Norman Powell at small forward for the entire season? And are you taking best advantage of his gifts if you do that? Can you even re-sign Norman Powell to do that, as we talked about in a previous podcast? Yeah. But let's pretend in a perfect world you could and you did. Is that a successful lineup? Is that a better lineup? I'm I'm looking at it. I'm thinking over 82 games, probably not. You're not, you're not getting everything out of him, and he can't defend the position. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, and this is not new. Not, th- what I'm about to say is not news. This is not some great revelation. This is something that we all have known and still know. We need better defense. We just do. We can't, whether we are the number one offense in the league or, or whatever, we can't play the kind of defense we've been playing and, and go far. I, you can't have the worst. I mean, I, I'm not great with math and especially when it comes to statistics and things like that. But if you're number one at offense and number 30 at defense or even number 27 at defense or 26 or whatever, if you're at the end, you average those things together. You still end up in the middle of the pack and we can't be in the middle of the pack. We, if we want to win. And so we have got to start improving our defense and that's going to mean making some changes as much as I've been, you know, again, all sunshine and unicorns and rainbows about this. The fact is that our defense didn't get better when we needed it to and not better enough. And so we've got to make some changes. And I, and I don't know, I don't know if, if this is even worth talking about, but on top of that, I also think size is an issue. We have a small team, and especially when you've got CJ, Dame, and Norm all out there, that those are small guards, and, and they're great. All of them are great at what they do, but having three out of five of your players on the court being pretty small guys on top of the fact that we're not playing great defense, that height and that wingspan, those things make a difference. That's why you have players that are so tall and that's why they do well. I think we're missing some of that and and matching up against teams who do have that, it becomes a problem. So, it, you know, there are things like that that I just think, I think there needs to be some changes. So and, here, here's the thing, now that you bring it up, the, the problem is actually two-pronged. The Blazers are small, but they're not particularly quick and athletic. 
And that's usually the trade-off, right? This guy is small, but he's going to be up in your grill, get in your face. He's a, a, a lightning, bolt of lightning, you know, in, in a compact package. That's not Portland. Lillard can turn it up on offense anytime he wants. C.J. McCollum has nice lateral moves and skills on offense, again. Derek Jones Jr. is good on a straight line driver back and forth. But Derek Jones Jr. hasn't played much or didn't play a huge right. role. Robert Covington is a really solid defender and a good athlete, but he's not like that explosive quick guy. He's a solid position defender. Um, and, and he's quick enough to help, but he, you know what I mean. He, this is not like Russell Westbrook <laughs> or anything like that. Uh, and, and Nurk, same thing. Just not, he's, he's a good athlete, but he's not like hyper athletic in that NBA sense, nor as you say, hyper tall. So what have you got? You haven't got a, a lot of height. You haven't got a huge amount of size, although if anything, the Blazers do have some bulk. And you haven't got a lot of super quickness or overt hyper-athleticism. So what have you got? You've got a team that's skilled and has reasonably good chemistry, multi-talented. Okay, but but that's not enough, right? Yeah. So it's not just size, it's, it's more, and, and they're missing the more. Now, let me play the snake in the tree, whispering in your ear, Dia. Look at this Ben Simmons fruit. <laughs> Doesn't it look lovely I knew this eat? was coming. <laughs> so um, you have Simmons, who is tall for his position. Really, any position you put him in, in one, two, or three, he's going to be tall. He is rangy, athletic, fairly quick, and he's a superb, superb defender. Now, He's running away from shots at this point instead of taking them, which we can talk about a little in a little bit. But he he is a defensive superstar, and he's very unique yeah. in the league. I mean, he is. When you say Ben Simmons, there's not like Ben Simmons two. There's not even right. the Dame right. Seth Curry thing where it's like one and two. There's Ben Simmons, and there's I mean, the closest thing might be Giannis, although they're completely different players. But that kind of weird rangy big Giannis is uh, light years above Ben. But that's almost the closest comparison as far as size for position and athleticism and defensive ability. I mean, the, everybody else is either shorter or not as adept or whatever. So this guy appears to fit quite a few of your criteria. Do you yeah. think you would like him on the Blazers? So this is interesting because I, this has been a common theme. <laughs> A lot of people are talking about this concept right now, this idea of Ben Simmons and, you know, that he may be available and it may be a realistic option for the Blazers. And you're hearing a lot of people just really bashing him because of how he's currently playing. How he's playing right now has not been his norm. I think he's a better player than he has been in the recent games. Um, that being said, I, yeah. I actually like this move with an asterisk, I guess. If you can put him in, in a power forward position, kind of like what Golden State's doing with Steph Curry and Draymond Green, if, if you can do that kind of a thing and, and give you know Dame some options with that, I, I think that could actually be a good thing. I think, I think that I could get on board with that. I, that actually gets me a little bit um, excited. I, I think that could be a good move, and especially if it's something that's a reasonable possibility. Yeah, I say do it. I don't think the Sixers are going to take CJ straight up for Ben Simmons. I think they value him more than that even now, unless the wheels have completely fallen off and he has a huge asterisk on him from the people who know him best, 
which makes you go, hmm. Now, that asterisk, granted, could include not compatibility with Joel Embiid. That would be the asterisk, obviously, that you'd accept because you don't have Joel Embiid. But, you know, there was a fair amount of frustration emanating out of Philadelphia with this whole playoff series here. And I think that's bubbling under the surface. I don't think they're going to give him away. But there might be a little, there's a mark on him now that wasn't there before. That's it. I still don't think they take CJ's form straight up. I think that Philly fans, at least, are, I I compared this on talking to someone else, like Philly fans and Portland fans are like an auto dealer and an auto shopper. And the shopper who wants the car is walking into the dealership thinking, I'm going to get this guy 5000 under the list price. And the dealer's going, I'm going to get this guy to spend 5000 over the list price. And the two aren't destined to meet. That's not going to happen. And that's about where Philly fans are. Philly fans are going, nah, you know, we'll take Damian Lillard. You can have Ben Simmons. And Blazer fans are going, you can have CJ McCollum and we'll take Ben Simmons. They're not on the same planet at this point. So I've got to believe that it's going to take more than CJ. But the salaries are so close between CJ and Ben that you can't throw in a lot. So you're either talking draft picks, which is dangerous, and also I don't know if the Blazers can afford it, honestly. Or you've got a player like Anthony Simons, which would be odd because that would duplicate CJ. Uh, Or you've got, you know, Nasir Little or somebody else who's young. Do the Blazers do that? If if they wanted, for instance, if they wanted uh, Little and CJ and, let's say, a pick, let's let's make sure we've compensated them well. That seems like a lot. That seems like a lot. I, I don't know. This is where I struggle so much with this. And I am I am not a trade expert. I am not. Uh, this is hard for me to fully understand and really get fully. Like, I, I get it to some degree. But I'm not somebody who can just, like, who knows this in the ins and outs of this. I say that to say that's the perspective you're getting with me. Dave, you are, you get this a little bit, for for the people listening, Dave has a much better understanding of this than I do. What I will say is that we missed out on a pretty good trade, in my opinion, because they weren't willing to throw Ant Simons into the deal. Now, as it turns out, he ended up being a a pretty crucial part of our team and I'm glad we had him. But that being said, I'm going to go out on a limb and go way aside from what I normally say about anything ever when it comes to trading players and say that we cannot be afraid to make those trades at this point. As much as I personally like these guys as individuals, as people, as human beings, as much as I enjoy watching them play and will hate seeing them be on another team. I also am at a point where I want to win a championship and I want to see Dame get a ring and I want to see some things happen in order to make that possible. So if there are opportunities there to make what appears to be a good trade and you have to throw in, I don't know, Dave, I I don't know. I don't know. There's a part of me that wants to say yes, but I can't quite bring myself to say yes because I love Nasir Little. I love CJ. I don't want to see CJ go. Can we just have 30 players, please? So uh, what you're suggesting is if there's a slam dunk trade, the Blazers should not pass it off to someone else, uh, thereby 
missing out on the it's exactly what Ben yeah, you missed yeah. you missed that game actually. Ben Simmons, everybody was on his case because he had a slam dunk in the lane and instead he passed the ball and it ended up in a foul, stopped the clock, whatever, but it wasn't yeah. the dunk. Of all the people <laughs> I am very cautious about trades and I am very, I mean, you know how I am. I get attached. I don't want to see anybody leave. And and so I don't usually even like to talk about trades, but even I'm at a point where I'm looking at this and thinking something's got to give and, and we've got to do something. We've got to do something. And so if a trade comes along that looks like it's going to be a good thing and it's going to take us to a next level and it includes a player that I like, it doesn't necessarily, there are very few players at this point that I think are not negotiable for the Blazers that I think that the Blazers should not touch. I would say Dame, duh, that we would be idiots to trade him at this point. I would say Robert Covington needs to stay short of that. I mean, I, I hope we can resign Norm, but I don't know that that's even a possibility. That's not really fully up to us. I, I, I think there's a lot of room to wiggle here. I don't like it. I don't want to see anyone go. I, I want them all here because I like them all. But I also think that we need to stop missing out on good opportunities because we're afraid. What happened to you in Puerto Rico? You like absorbed my brain or something. Like I, that's the stuff look, I was gonna say. Look, if if it comes down to it, I'm gonna be over here, you know, crying into my CJ McCollum jersey. But it's frustrating. It's frustrating, Dave. It's frustrating year after year after year to feel like I mean, at the beginning of this podcast, at the beginning of this season, I was looking at this roster and I'm like, this is it, this is our year. And I legitimately thought that this might be our year, that we might make a run at it, that we at least end up in the Western Conference Finals. To go out in the first round the way that we did is so disappointing and so not the potential of what this team could be that I'm looking at this and it's like, I don't want to do this year after year after year. I don't want to sit here a year after year after year and not live up to our potential when we've got freaking Damian Lillard playing on our team. We need to do better. We should do better. And so for me, I'm at a point where as much as I want to, you know, hold hands and sing Kumbaya because I like all these players and, and I I want to hang out with them as human beings and I enjoy watching them play the game that they play so well in a blazer jersey. I'd also really enjoy watching them play in any other team's jersey while we win a championship. Oh my gosh, you heard it here first from Dia. The that may be the last time you ever hear me say that. <laughs> millions of Dia fans are crying out in agony. Uh, anyway, so look, let's compare the two players a little bit. CJ is going to be 30. Ben is going to be 25. So the Blazers would be buying five years. Also, CJ's big calling card is he scores 23 a game and can shoot the three-pointer. Ben's only about 15 and cannot shoot the three-pointer. He's like 30%, but that's nowhere near CJ, who's like 40%, right? So obviously a much more developed offensive player, uh, McCollum is. But Simmons is six foot 11 and he's a point guard. Now, obviously Damien would still remain the point guard in that scenario, but now you have two people who can handle the ball and make plays for others, which is not something that CJ has always been the best at. You also have Simmons's size, which is good all the way from the one through four slots, really. He's not like bulky enough to play the five, nor would they expect him to. But the power of another ball handler who played a non-shooting guard position, who's also obnoxiously tall, is 
pretty nice in addition to the defense. But, oh, that's right. I forgot one other thing. Usage percentage, which is basically a measure of how often a player takes a play, right? You know, there's X number of plays that a team runs in a game. When does it end up centering on a given player? Dame is like 30%, which is high. I mean, theoretically, if you divided a unit by five players, if they were absolutely equal, each one would have 20%, right? Right. So Dame's at 30, which which should surprise you not at all, right? But right. CJ's at 27, which is plenty high, right? Ben Simmons is at 20 as the point guard. Now, that means he's not like your high-scoring 30-point-a-game point guard. But it also means that a guy who plays defense, can make plays, dribble the ball, handle the ball, will take shots, although they're going to be inside the arc, and can score a bit, that guy is also not gobbling up possessions like he was Allen Iverson. Right. That's a different wrinkle, because now if you couple that with, let's say you keep Norman Powell, now all of a sudden possessions become available for Norman Powell and Yusuf Nurkic to use that CJ used to be using, but Simmons won't. And by the way, both of them, both Dame and Simmons, can feed either of those players as well. Yeah. And I I think, you know, if if even though he's not making as many shots as CJ is, we have solid offense. Our offense is is very, very good. And so if you take out one player who's good at offense and not always so good at defense, Defense, and you put in another player who's moderately good at offense, but a good defensive player, you're going to make up for the points that he's not scoring by the points that he's not allowing the other team to score. Um, and probably then some, because that's something that's a hole for us. So I, and, and, and exactly what you just explained. And that's why I said, you know, made the comparison with, with the Steph Curry, Draymond Green thing that they've got going on when you have somebody who can kind of play that role for Dame and give him opportunity to play off the ball a little bit Dame plays really well off the ball but he doesn't really do that a lot he he's typically the one that's playing in that position and so I I just think that could be an interesting thing it would be different what we're doing isn't getting us where we need to be we need something that's going to be different this would be different, but it would still allow us to play. Like you said, I, I picture this as being an option of keeping Norman Powell. If we can't re-sign Norman Powell, then that's a whole different story. And I don't know where we go there because I think we need him for this to work that way. Right. I mean, and next up is Anthony Simons at starting shooting guard, which creates its own problems. So look, the Blazers would be weaned off of three-point shooting somewhat. Right now, Everybody but Nurk shoots the three more or less, right? But you still have Dame. You have Norman Powell, who is, in Toronto, he was a great three-point shooter. In Portland, he was not. But he was playing out of position. Some of that can be attributed to the change, I think. If he came back, they'd probably be okay. But if he remains a low three-point percentage, or three-point percentage player, then you start looking at Simmons, who is also quite low. Covington did really well, but... 
Covington shooting well from three may be a byproduct of all the other shooters on the team. In other words, he wasn't a guy who was going to go get his three. He was a guy who shot the three when everybody was looking the other direction at the players who are better offensive players. So in that scenario, I'm not sure that Covington is as great of a three-point shooter. And Nurk has tried, God bless him, over the years, but he's that's not his thing. So right. you actually have at least two and a half and up to four non-three-point shooters on the team. That's a big change. But this may be one of the arguments saying, well, you know, coaching change, it's about time. Because if you take away the three-pointer from the Stotts offense, it's he'd have to change it. That's going to be a problem, perhaps. But a new coach is going to change it anyway. And believe it or not, not everyone depends wholly on the three. Now... The modern NBA does, but it is possible to play with less three-point shooting than the Blazers have had. Yeah, well, and I mean, there were multiple times this season where they were struggling with that and they weren't sinking them. And it was frustrating to watch. And I said out loud more than once, you know, if the threes aren't working, you can go a little closer and you'll still get points. You know, I think about that often when they're not hitting those threes, because sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do it really well, but sometimes they don't. And it's like, you know, a missed three is zero points. A made two is two points. And those two points add up. And so if you can get guys that can shoot closer in that aren't shooting threes as much, but they're, but they're making their shots. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. We've got Dane who shoots those outside threes all the time. You know, Norman Powell shoots those pretty well. Anthony Simons shoots those. We've got guys that shoot the three and shoot it well. I, and quite frankly, just as a fan of the game, it makes it a heck of a lot more fun to watch when it's not just a bunch of three-point shots all the time. So I like the idea of having some guys that are shooting, you know, inside that three-point line. I like the idea of changing the offense a little bit. I, I, I think let's shake it up. Now, this may be jet lag, and next week I may come back and eat my words and say, just kidding, let's keep them all. But for now, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready, Dave. I'm, I'm ready. Me too, I think. I would pull the trigger on this trade. I, I would do it. Uh, and I think if it's CJ plus who is the question. And again, Philly's going to want something to balance out that age gap, I'm sure. And really the all-around skill gap. I think a trade will be very good for CJ. I love CJ. He's one of my top favorite Blazers of all time, honestly. I love him. I love his game. I think he's improved greatly. I think as a human being, he's amazing. I, I had a chance to interview him at one point and he was one of the kindest, most well-spoken people I've I've talked to in this world. Um, I think he's a stand-up guy and I am a big fan. Um, that being said, as long as Dame is on this team, I don't think CJ's full potential will be seen. I think he takes a back seat um, and I think he always will to some extent. So I would actually really like to see CJ on a team where he can step into a bigger role and really just shine. I think he should have that opportunity. And I, as sad as I am to say it, don't know if, if we'll see that happen with him in Portland. And yeah, better for all involved, I think. And I think, you know, that's got to be coming. I just brace yourselves. Excuse me, I shouldn't, I misspoke. It doesn't got to be coming. Neil may just ride this out. Yeah. uh, Because that's very Neil. But, you know, to be fair, 
the Blazers have made some moves. They've just been on a smaller scale. I think it's dawning on everybody that smaller scale isn't going to do it. So I'm going to give Olshay the benefit of the doubt and say that he would be amenable to moving CJ in the right situation. And I think the bar for right situation has lowered, and I think Ben Simmons easily clears it. The sticking point is going to be what else the Sixers want. And you can't give up multiple first-rounders. Uh, and keep in mind, five years ago, he was their number one overall pick. So this is not a light move for them, right? But I don't think you can give up multiple first rounders. I wonder how willing they'll be to talk about players like Simons, to talk about players like Little, who would be assets. I'm not sure Philly could make full use of them, but they would develop them and perhaps parlay them into more trades. You know, Daryl Morey is no dummy. He understands statistics. He understands what could happen if Simon's growth curve continues to rise. So does Neil. So if something like that could, I think, easily become the sticking point. End of the story, though, is I don't think CJ is nearly as valuable as Blazer fans think he is. At his age and with his skill set and especially with his salary, Blazer fans can't overvalue CJ because I don't think the rest of the league does anymore. This is not two years ago. It's a different world and a different reality. He can still be valuable, but it's got to be the right team in the right situation, which, which means if the Blazers do have a chance like this, I think they need to take it. All right. I think that's as much trade talk as I can handle for one night, Dave. Hi, this is, I, I, oh, I just hate it. I, I hate know. it all. I'm so sorry. And we're just <laughs> back and then we bombard you with this, but it's going to intensify. We'll be able to celebrate, I think, when a trade is made. It's just hard anticipating. I want to say one more thing along those lines. That's a, kind of a side note. One of the women that I was working with in the bubble is from Toronto and has done some work with them. And so she and I got to talking very early on and I said something about being a Trailblazers fan and she said, oh, you have Norm. And I said, you have Gary. And I just, it's its one of those things where I think when a good trade happens, it makes me really happy because both sides can be happy. We can enjoy, I still enjoy watching him play. Well, not obviously currently, but when they were playing, I enjoyed that. And so I have hope that going forward with these trades, we will still be able to enjoy the players that we like in a good situation somewhere else. Yeah. That's my hope. Well, and also, um, I, should say, I should tell you, there is a hope, and I haven't looked at Philly's roster enough, but I'm not sure if this is better or worse, but CJ and Robert Covington might be able to get Ben Simmons and some salary. Nope. Best. You know, uh, Robert Covington was once pretty popular in Philly. so. Nope. Yeah, nope, that's, they that's can't your have him. Point? Yeah, that's I, I said. I, no Dame, no Robert Covington. So I'm you, not giving you're him hoping up. for a Dame, Powell, Simmons, Covington, Nurkic starting lineup. That's your thing. Uh huh. With Anthony yeah. Simons coming off the bench and or Nasir Little. Uh, yeah. Okay. Zach Collins. Yep, that 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 looks like a that looks like a nice little uh need a roster center. there to me. Still need a backup center. I'm not worried about that at the moment. All right. <laughs> Well, we'll, well, you know, we went last year without a backup point guard, and I guess Ben Simmons would uh, s solve that problem because yeah. you, know, you got an extra one. There you go. I'm just saying that that looks like a pretty good starting five to me. Yeah. I think that would be fun to watch. Be better defensively, that's for sure. I was just going to say the defense, the defensive score would definitely go up. Four of those players can defend pretty well. Well, three can defend, two defend great, one defends <laughs> good. Uh, that would be Nurkic. Powell defends well enough 
with enough help. And Dame will defend okay if he's surrounded by that lineup. So I think defensively you couldn't help but look up. And then yeah. uh, you got Becky Hammond or Dawn Staley to coach him, and everybody looks good, right? I think we couldn't have written it better, Dave. Well, we could have written it better if we got to keep CJ too, but... Philly might have a, a thing or two to say about that. <laughs> Give him Ennis Cantor for uh, Ben Simmons. Oh, geez. We're starting to see announcements for the Olympics. That is coming up here very shortly. And, of course, we have to mention the fact that Damian Lillard has agreed to um, go to the Olympics with the, with the team. So that's going to be really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing him in that role. You know, I have I have a lot of good memories as a kid watching, you know, the dream team and uh, watching these these guys play in the Olympics. And so I think it'll be really cool to get to watch. It's funny because I associate things like this for my child now. You know, all these things that were a big deal for me and my childhood. And I very clearly remember watching Day uh, Clyde Drexler go to the Olympics and being so excited about that and being invested in the Olympics as a child because I liked Clyde. And so I look at this and I think, oh, this is so cool because my daughter's a huge Damian Lillard fan. And so it'll be so cool to get to, have her watch the Olympics, you know, and, and be excited about it because Dame's in it. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, this is the perfect scenario for him because remember he went to trials a couple times before and then backed out because of whatever was going on there and it just wasn't Dame-ish. Now, <laughs> look who needs him. And he's clearly going to be one of the best players on that team. Yeah. He and Kevin Durant so far, James Harden, obviously, but Harden is uh, injured a little bit. So we'll see how effective he is. But he stands with those guys as yep. a glittering star. So that's a fantastic way for him to re-enter that process. Uh, try out schmyouts. Here I am. Uh, also, yeah. at some point in his career, you could have said, okay, well, short season before, compacted season, already fatiguing. And Dame has played a ton of minutes in his career and always seems to lull during the year. And you have some concerns about whether you want him playing. But guess what? The Blazers can't even say that now because what did they do with them? They went out in the first round of the playoffs. So they have no claim on saying, hey, could you save yourself or we really need you? And his career is progressing onwards. The next Olympics that comes around, he will be 34, almost 35. So Perfect scenario, this is it. perfect time. Yep. This is you. Nothing but applause. No matter what it costs, no matter what happens, nothing but applause. And I think it's going to be yeah. exciting to see him on an international stage. I think people will be, because he's toured China, you know, uh, and he's been actually various places. So uh, going over to Japan and a brand new venue for people to see him and the international exposure that the Olympics give will be a chance for him and everybody who markets through him to get a whole new legion of fans. And I think that that's fantastic. More power to him. I have absolutely no qualms about it. Nothing but thumbs up for Dame. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, we talked about this briefly with the All-Star Game. I'm a huge fan of the All-Star Game I because, because I'm a fan of basketball. And because as I get 
older and more engrossed in this world, I find that I am definitely a fan of specific players. So I'm obviously a Trailblazers fan because I have been since I was a child, but it used to be that that's all I knew. All I knew was the Trailblazers. I knew the players that were on the Trailblazers. I didn't know any of that. I didn't follow anyone else. But what's happening to me now is the more that I love the game of basketball, the more that I love individual players outside of the Trailblazers. And so a situation like this where it's literally the best players. I mean, I I know that it's, you know, some of the best players in the league are saying no and not going for whatever reason, but uh, we're getting to basically see an all-star lineup um, playing together and getting to, even in the all-star game, you've got two separate teams that are playing against each other. In this case, we've got one team, everybody in the country, everybody here is going to be cheering for the same team. And I love that. That makes me so happy. The the camaraderie of that, just the way that that brings people together and seeing that happen with our point guard, with our guy, you know, it feels a little personal. Like we get to have this part in this. And I just think that that's so cool. And I'm really, really excited about it. Yeah, the only bummer is his new teammate, Ben Simmons, won't be playing because he's Australian, <laughs> right? And I think he's not going to join the Australian team anyway, but he can't, he can't play with Dame. So, I right, mean, what's, right. what's, what's the fun in that? Yeah, this is such an interesting thing to me, how this all works. Um, and, and seeing players with their national teams. You know, this is when a lot of the teams that were in this bubble that I was just in, those are the teams that will go to the Olympics for their country. And so it was, it was interesting to see. And one of the things that was really cool is watching, there was a girl on the U.S. team and her sister was on the Virgin Islands team. And so there are some interesting storylines like that that happen with when you start playing for national teams. And I think that's really cool to see. And it's always been really interesting to me because you forget sometimes when you get absorbed in the world of the NBA that not all the players in the NBA are from the United States. Some of them are from other countries. And so when it comes to national teams, you know, they wouldn't be playing for the U.S. And I, I, you know, you've got guys like Giannis, you've got guys like Luca, you've got guys that are big names that are big stars in the NBA who would not play for the U.S. national team. Wait a minute. Should, they should trade CJ for Giannis. That would be good. Let's do that. Last time Giannis came up as an option for our team, I was not a big fan of that deal. Yeah, I remember uh, the that. More, you, I think you yeah. should rethink that. I was slaughtered all over line, online for that. But, Nobody but, liked you know, that. That'll, that'll take CJ, I'm sure. I mean, I've been on Twitter. I've, I've, I've read Blazer fans on Twitter and some in our comment section. I'm pretty sure CJ for Giannis is, is, is a nice trade. Straight. I mean, CJ was drafted before Giannis. I mean, I, you can't argue that. Same draft class. And CJ was taken first. He's more valuable. So I don't know if I like Giannis on the Blazers. I, I, I'm a little more warm to it than I was the last time we talked about it. But I don't know. Oh I, I can't God. take this anymore, Dave. That's enough trade talk for tonight. <laughs> All right. Well, we should probably wrap this up. We will have maybe more on the coaching search next week, plus further developments. And uh, don't miss... Uh, Keep or yeet, I'm sure one or two of those will be coming up and uh, in the near future here, probably. That's torture, more. just so you know. I know. Torture. I Absolute torture for me. I'm already, the one that we talked about, CJ, I already regret. I want to take it back. I want to keep him. And yet you Although, traded for Ben Simmons. You're I like know. meeting him to Philadelphia <laughs> for, a ch for Ben Simmons and a Philly cheesesteak. I don't like it. I don't like having to, I feel like I am, it's, it feels like giving away a child. I don't like it, Dave. I don't like it. 
if you, if you liked it for Simmons, you should like him for Giannis because Giannis can defend just as well and does take Giannis. Tell me, if look, look, if Milwaukee's GM calls you up and says, "Dia, I'll do this," you say yes. Just assure us that you'll say yes on behalf of the rest. <laughs> I would never want that kind of responsibility. You couldn't pay me enough to have that job. I would quit. I'm pretty sure we could pay you enough to have that job. I'm pretty sure you job. couldn't. I'm pretty sure you could not. I would not. I couldn't. Nope. Okay. No. Look, you take the GM job. It can be a shell job for you. You just have me on speed dial and give me a quarter of your salary and we'll make this work. Okay. I, I can't. I can't. I can't have that kind of responsibility. Yeah. You know what? Actually, I've thought of before. I mean, it's stupid because everybody dreams of this. I would not want to be the GM. I'm not qualified to be the GM. I could, you know, it's not something that I could do. But you know what? I think I could assemble a team. And obviously they have scouts and pretty darn good ones. Let's forget about that for a minute. But a team of like cap people and various other smart people in the online circle that if directed sufficiently might be able to do a credible general manager job if you got the right people. Right. I mean, it's kind of like uh, kind of like nobody's like qualified on their own, but everybody has a skill. And when you mighty morph and power rangers these all together, it makes one big GM <laughs> that can like go out and do things. So I, I think mean, that would be an interesting idea. I'd take that over currently our situation. <laughs> oh, ouch. Okay. With that, maybe we'll talk more about that next week. We will see you all again in a week. For Dia Miller, I'm Dave Deckard. Uh, I guess we usually say go Blazers. I guess it would be go one vacation Blazers or whatever. Have a good vacation. Go Suns! Go Suns. Well, Blazer fans have now become Suns fans, I'm pretty sure. A little, only because they're not Clippers fans. I mean, who can be a Clippers fan? I mean, uh, but you know what? I mean, Bucks. I like the Bucks kind of and the Hawks, but... I want to see the Suns Hawks. I, I doubt that's going to happen, I but Suns I would Bucks. really like to see the Suns and the Hawks. I think that would be fun. Phoenix and Atlanta. I like to see Phoenix and Milwaukee, honestly. Just not the... Let's get the Clippers out of there and then everybody can be happy. But look, here's the thing, though. Phoenix fans are going to turn on you. They're going to they're going to turn on all of us. I tell you, if they win the title, they're going to become insufferable. But that's OK. Uh, we'll enjoy it on the way. And Monty Williams. Yay. Anyway, we got to go now. We will talk about all this next week. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop. But then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave comes here and out of you. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. The crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent. <laughs>